Here's what's coming up next on Contemplate. Anyone who tells you that following Christ means health and wealth and no difficulties in life and that your family is going to be perfect all the time, your kids are going to be, you know, you can put them up on Facebook every day about the new awards that they're winning and whatever, and everything's going to be perfect, and you're going to have this wonderful life, and everything's great if you follow Jesus and have enough faith. They're trying to sell you something. It's not true. Just because you love Jesus doesn't mean that everything will always be great. And today in Acts 27, we'll see Paul going through a terrible storm himself. Here's Pastor David. So he tells him, look, this angel stood by me, right? And now, interestingly, what the angel said is that he's going to stand before Caesar. Before we knew that he was going to witness in Rome, now he knows he's going to be on trial before Caesar. He didn't know that when, when Jesus was talking to him, he didn't tell him that. He told him, he didn't tell him that much yet, just that he was going to witness at Rome. Now it comes out, oh, yeah, you're going to stand trial before Caesar. So that's, I don't know which is more, would I rather die in the shipwreck or, or stand trial before Caesar? I don't know, but uh, he's going to testify in Rome at this point. Okay, so um, the good news for the people on the ship is that this angel has told Paul, the Lord has said, they're not going to die. They're not going to die. Um, so let's keep going. Verse 27. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. Here's something kind of cool. About 100 years ago, according to my source, they did a study, like, a, like an intense study, and they asked these sailors from the Mediterranean, hey, this kind of northeastern wind and this kind of gale force wind and, and so on, how fast would the trip, ships travel and so on and so forth? And they were able to actually determine that 14 nights in, based on the speed, which I think is like a mile and a half an hour or something that, that the ship would have done, they would have been within a few miles of Malta which is where they eventually land. And so what, what Luke says here, even to the 49, again, just this detail. Who cares if it was 49? How about after a while, a couple weeks, right? He had 14 nights, and that happens to be exactly the amount of time that it would take to get from where they were at Fair Havens to where they end up at Malta. So it's kind of a cool thing that they did that study, at least... That kind of stuff is cool to me. I don't know if it's cool to you. All right, so let's keep going. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little further, they, found, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So they didn't have sonar, right? So what they did is they had these ropes with like lead weights at the end of them, and they would be marked with, with, uh, with distances. And so they'd throw those in the water and, and let them drag, and they'd see how deep it was. And so it's getting less and less deep. So they're clearly getting closer and closer to land. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Now, the stern, for those of you who don't know boats, is the back of the boat, and the bow is the front of the boat. Um, so the stern, so they, they dropped the anchors from the stern, and normally they would have actually dropped the anchors from the bow, but they dropped the anchors from the stern because they didn't want to completely stop the ship. They wanted to be able to slow it down, but let it continue its forward progress towards land. They're hoping to run aground, but not so fast that if they run into rocks or something, you know, the whole thing goes bye-bye. So that's why they've dropped these anchors, these four anchors out of the stern. And, as the, and they prayed for day to come. Well, yeah, I would be too. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. I like this. So there's these sailors, and they're thinking, you know, this is not working out well. And so they go over, and they're like, hey, we're going to let some anchors down 
from the prow, and they're going kind of over there, and they're letting the, the little boat go down because they're going to jump in the boat and take off and leave all these. Not that smart to leave the Roman soldiers on the boat because if they do get out, they're probably going to be upset that you took off on them. But in any case, these guys are trying to basically steal the skiff, let it down to the water and steal it, and try to get away themselves. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. You think those sailors were upset with Paul? I I don't know. Paul, you know, is always making people happy. This is just another instance where I think he's probably done that. He he tattled on them, right? And he's like, if those guys leave, you're going to die too. And so the soldiers go over there, they cut the things, and the ship goes out, and I think they're probably a little bitter. That's my guess, but I don't know. Um, Either way, that boat's gone. That weighs out. But it shows one thing. They're clearly looking at Paul for leadership. He says, do something, and they do it. They're clearly trusting him. It's probably their last best hope that Paul happens to be correct. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Yikes. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. Okay, so these guys had not eaten for 14 days. Now, um, I don't know how many times you've been on a boat in a storm. But I'm guessing that your, your belly, your tum-tum, probably doesn't feel very good, right? So they're, they're being tossed and turned for 14 days in this ship. And, of course, the level of anxiety of, I'm going to die, 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 is probably not making you very hungry. So they've gone all this time without eating. They're probably more concerned about keeping the ship from breaking apart and all the rest of that stuff. But they have not, the seasickness, the anxiety, and so on, they haven't eaten for all this time. And so Paul's like, hey, let's eat something which normally people feel better when they have something to eat. I know I do. Um, And so that's why I eat as often as possible. All right. So uh, he tells them to eat. And this is the really cool thing is Paul gets to pray to God and thank God and be thankful to God. In the middle of all this, in the middle of all that's going on, in the midst of this, he gets to, in front of these people, have a testimony where he's thanking God for this little thing, for this fact that they get to eat some food in front of all these people. And these people get to see that, that Paul has this, this unshakable faith. And it's a witness to all these people. So it's an amazing blessing that he gets to thank God for this food in front of all these people, in front of all these people. He gets to show that he's calm and thankful. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. 276 people, that includes Paul. It's a lot of people. Not, not a particularly high number for a ship like this. They could actually fit quite a few people. Um, but that's a lot of people that were with Paul. That's a lot of people that God has promised he'll save. Quite a few, right? And so they're there, and after they're done eating, they take all this wheat, which would have probably been in bags down in the, the hold of the ship, and they throw it all out in the sea, lightening it up, assumedly to make the ship lighter so that they could make landfall more easily. I'm just saying this. I'm not a sailor. I'm guessing that's why they did it. Okay. Um, so they throw the wheat out of the ship. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship, if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail, 
to the wind and made for shore. Okay. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So, I mean, think about this. All these days, just going through it. Paul's like, hey, good things are going to happen here. God's going to save you and so on. They're like, okay, maybe something's going to happen. We had a meal, had some bread. We're good. We're ready to go. Hey, there's the land. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Right? And they start to go. And then the boat sticks in this, basically the sandbar. And the waves are literally breaking the boat apart from the back, just tearing it up. That close to to being saved. And right before they get there, now it looks once again like they're all going to die. Not fun, I'm guessing, not fun for them. All right, so what happens? And the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. Well, that's nice. As some of you may remember, a Roman soldier, if they lost their prisoner, if their prisoner got away or escaped, the Roman soldier could have to face the same penalty that that prisoner would have had to face. So if any of these prisoners would have gotten death as a result of what they'd done, or even, uh, you know, a lashing. The soldier would have had to have that. So they'd rather kill these guys than let them possibly escape and be held accountable for them escaping. So that's not great for Paul, but that's what the soldiers want to do. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some, some on boards and some on parts of the ship, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. So the centurion likes Paul. Paul's been, as I say, kind of leading this whole thing. And for the sake of Paul, it doesn't sound like it was for the sake of any of the other prisoners, but for the sake of Paul, he says, don't kill the prisoners. You guys who can swim, jump off, which implies something. Not everybody on this boat could swim, which is interesting because I wouldn't get on a boat if I couldn't swim, right? Because if you can't swim, bad things will happen if something happens in the boat. So it's even scarier for those guys who couldn't swim. But he says some of them could swim, so they swam. The other people, they grabbed boards. They grabbed parts of the ship that were breaking off. And every single one of them makes it to the shore. Everyone is saved, just as the angel told Paul. Go figure. Now, this is uh, it's a great story. It's a very interesting story. If you like nautical tales, um, it's a good one. It's a good biblical nautical tale. Um, and so uh, <laughs> I've been on a boat before in just gentle waves, okay? Went on a whale watching thing. I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I mean, just, you know, the gentle whatever. And I lost my breakfast. So I cannot imagine what it would be like to be on a ship like this 14 days, of being caught in a typhoon. You can't see the sun. You can't see the stars. It's dark. It's horrible. I can't imagine what that would be like. And through all of that, though, God took care of these people. And so let's dig in to this just a little bit. There's a happy side and a sad side to the story, right? The happy side's really easy. They all got saved. None of them died. They all made it to the shore. God saw them all through. So that's, that's easy. That's the happy side. We'll kind of get back to that. It's an amazing thing. But what is the sad side? Well, there was some sad. There was some loss here, right? Um, first of all, how terrible it would have been to go through this. How horrible it would have been to have to go through this. The fear, the pain, the seasickness, the loss of hope, which is a horrible thing to experience. 14 days of that nonstop. Nonstop, right? The difficulty. I mean, I, I don't like discomfort. 
I don't know how many people do. I don't, I don't like to go have to get up to get the remote if I left it in the kitchen when I got a snack. I'm like, seriously? Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. It's not, it's not fun. We tend to take even the slightest discomforts and be upset about them. This was uncomfortable. This was sad. There's a loss that happened here. These people were in pain, constant, terrifying, real, nonstop pain for 14 days. So that was, that was a sad thing. They lost the grain, right? Gone. All that grain, all those people that could have been fed, gone. They lost the ship. Not cheap, okay? Ships would not have been cheap, so they lost that. And then the, also the kind of bummer for the leaders, the, the centurion and the owner of the boat and these guys on this is that they actually had been given good advice that they didn't take. And so there's even like a, a double whammy when something bad happens and when you were told before you did it that it was a bad idea, like the shame that comes along with that. All those things are pretty sad. They had good advice and they didn't do it. I remember when I was younger, I used to give fantastic advice, right? Um, you know, you have those friends where it's like so obvious what they should do. And they come to you and they're like, oh, you know, my girlfriend, you know, should I blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, you know, you should do this thing. It's, it's really obvious. It's not like you're this great advice giver, but it's really obvious. And then they're like, absolutely, I'm going to do that thing. I'm definitely going to do that. That's, you're right. That's the best advice ever. And then they leave and they do the opposite, right? Completely the opposite. They never really do what they say they're going to do when you give them advice. And it always turns out bad. And you're kind of like, you don't really want to say, I told you so, but you do, right? Because that's how we treat our friends. Um, and, and so you understand that like you've, done the, you've gotten the good advice and then you've done the thing and it's ended up bad because you've gone the other way. I think there's some loss in that too. All of those things are kind of on the sad side of the coin. And we go through storms that have some happy and sad probably in them too, right? And sometimes in, in our storms in life, we're like Paul. We're like Paul. We, we were kind of dragged into it. You know, I mean, this guy's in chains. He's, he's been arrested. He's been stuck on the ship. He didn't choose to go do this. So sometimes we're like Paul. And sometimes, at least for me, more often, I'm more like the centurion and the ship owner where maybe there's some good advice. Maybe it seems unwise, maybe whatever. And I'm like, nah, we'll be fine. Let's do it. The south wind is blowing softly. Let's go. And then I end up in a storm because I'm an idiot right? That's more likely to be my story. Although I'm not saying I've never been in a storm that wasn't my fault. I just don't remember. Um, most of them have, have been my fault. Um, but we go, we go through a lot of things, right? Sometimes it doesn't have much to do with our choices. Sometimes it's just you get cancer. You get sick, right? You, get some, you, you lose a loved one. You get laid off at work. Your spouse leaves you. Yeah, Real things, really bad, horrible storms that come that you didn't necessarily, you certainly didn't choose them, you didn't want them, and they happen, and you go through them, like Paul was in this case, right? And in all these cases, the pain is incredible, and the, and the sadness is incredible, and, and sometimes like those who were on the ship with Paul for days, maybe weeks, maybe longer, maybe months, we can't see the sun or the stars, metaphorically, right? It's all dark. It's all rough. It's all difficult. And it seems like the storm won't stop. And so what does the Lord teach us through this storm that Paul and his companions were in? The first thing I think that, that God teaches us is that we are not immune from storms. Okay? And this is important because here's the deal. Is your spiritual resume as good as Paul's? 
How many times have you been beaten, imprisoned? How many times have, have you been, had rocks thrown at you, been beaten, been run out of a city? How many, how many churches have you started? How many thousands have you preached? I mean, this guy had a spiritual resume. He'd put it on the line for the Lord. He loved Jesus. He followed him. He had faith. He trusted. This guy was a, a believer. He loved Jesus, completely loved Jesus. And yet, he still went through the storm, right? Not only that, he told them, don't put out to sea. Bad things are good. So not only has he done good, you know, done, followed the Lord, trusted the Lord, lived for the Lord, he also told these guys not to do it, and they took him anyway. And these, and these very unfortunate things happen. Now, if it's going to happen to Paul, if Paul still had to go through the storm, then guess what? So do you. You're going to go through storms. You cannot avoid storms by having the faith. Listen carefully. You cannot avoid storms in your life by having enough faith or working hard enough or volunteering enough or doing enough good things. Paul had all that, and he didn't avoid this storm. Anyone who tells you that following Christ means health and wealth and no difficulties in life and that your family is going to be perfect all the time, your kids are going to be, you know, you can put them up on Facebook every day about the new awards that they're winning and whatever, and everything's going to be perfect, and you're going to have this wonderful life, and everything's great. If you follow Jesus and have enough faith, they're trying to sell you something. It's not true. There is nothing in here that would remotely suggest that following Christ somehow gets you out of the curse that the whole world has to deal with. Now, do we see it pushed back? In the church? Absolutely. Are there all kinds of things that we see, like this here, where God saved Paul from the storm? Do we see that? Absolutely we do. But the idea that you're not going to go through storms, that's just not scriptural. Or Paul wouldn't be going through it here. So you will go through storms. You are not immune. So the first thing to recognize is, it's happening. This thing is happening. Here's the other thing. Jesus can calm storms, but that doesn't mean he always will. So there's a story, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 22 to 25, it says this. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Listen, there's so much in this story, but for now, I want you to understand something. Jesus is in control. He commands the wind and the waves. If he wants to, he can say, Quiet, be done and it will stop. Jesus has that power. Jesus has the power. He has the power to push back the curse. We talked about this last week. We're, we're part of his kingdom in the church, and we get to see, we're the only ones who get to see this level of him pushing back the curse, and that's who Jesus is, and that's what he does. But that doesn't mean he will. Whatever your current storm is, or whatever storm you're just headed out of, or the one that you're just headed into, or whatever the case is in your life, whatever it is, remember, Jesus is in control. He has the ability to just pull you out of it. He does. He's the king. He can push back the curse, and he does so as a witness to this dying world and the dying people in it. Jesus can calm the storm with a word. And let me tell you, Paul knew that. I'm guessing Paul was praying for that. Jesus, just do it. Just calm the storm with a word. Just, just make it go away. 
That's what I would have been praying for. That's what you would have been praying for, right? Let's have this thing be over. Let's have this thing be over. But Jesus didn't calm the storm that way. Our ways are not God's ways. And often the storms that we cry out to him to stop in our own lives have a greater purpose that we can't even imagine. Any storms raging in your life? Know that if God doesn't stop them, he will be right beside you and give you his strength and peace every step of the way. And of course, if we can help you find that, please call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us this Sunday morning at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington. Easy directions are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Well, that's it for today, but there's still much more to learn from this chapter, so I hope you'll join us next time for part three here on Contemplate.